All right, Janet's going to pray. This is Diane Hensley, Judge Diane Hensley, if you don't know her. <clears throat> Let's pray for her. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your name rests in our sister and that your anointing is upon her, that you've called her, you've chosen her for a place of leadership and authority in our city. We bless her. We pray, Lord, that you would go before her in the path that she is currently walking, that righteousness would be established, that your will would be done, that justice would be served for her personally. And Lord, we pray for every case that she deals with, that she would have the wisdom of God. And Lord, as a representative of every other justice and every other judge, we pray for her and we pray for every other one. Lord, for your righteousness, your justice, your wisdom, your counsel, your authority, your might, your blessing, Lord, over everyone. Lord, tomorrow we pray for the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for Diane, for her life, for her legacy. We bless her in the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Right. No. I'll tell you where I got that. That was on um, Intercessors for America's uh, letter that they send out. It was actually put together by believers in Austin, Texas. And I just adapted it because it was like two pages long. It was quite long. But, um, yeah, it's really good to keep praying this way. And the, the point is, you know, so often we pray defensive prayers. We pray after the fact. Someone's sick, so we pray for them. Or, and accidents happen, and so we pray. And we hear about riots, so we pray. This is praying preemptively so that it won't happen. You know, we need to pray on the offense. And part of one of those prayers is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But these prayers are also declarations and decrees and prayers on the offense. Lord, protect our city. Already at least four cities in Texas have called up their policemen and all kinds of uh, law enforcement agencies to be prepared for the day of election and following because they expect a lot of riots, a lot of protests. And they say this is happening in many cities around the nation. They're not just all advertising it yet. So we want to pray that it does not happen in our city. And some of you are connected to other cities. You live in other cities or you pray for other cities. Pray for that city as well. Let's be Let's be watchmen on the walls. Let's be intercessors that stand in the gap for our nation and for our cities that need prayer so much right now. Okay, if you turn with me to Ephesians 4, that's where we're starting today. Did it just start snowing in here? It's suddenly very cold. So, Reuben, there's one over there. You can try to adapt it if you can. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, now that the mic works, the air conditioner came on. That, we could preach that about the body of Christ, how we all work together, right? <clears throat> okay, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, 
beseech you to have a walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Notice that Paul didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a prisoner in Philippi. He says, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. He knew, he knew who was in charge of his life. He knew who was over everything he was going through. And he wasn't crediting the Romans with putting him in prison. He knew he was God's prisoner. God had put him in that prison for a set time and for his purposes. And that's something we can know too. When we're in a sort of prison or a place of confinement or a difficult position, we belong to the Lord. And wherever we find ourselves, we need to be giving glory to the Lord, thanking him because we are his prisoner. We are put in places for his purposes, for his will, for his set time. And Paul was very aware of that. So that's how he starts out. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Well, what calling is that? I'm going to uh, remind you of some verses in the first three chapters of, he, of, uh, of Hebrews. Now I'm going back in time. Uh, Ephesians, because that's what he's referring to. What is the calling? Well, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 7, we see that we're chosen before the foundation of the world. We are to be holy and without blame before God. He's predestined us to adoption by Jesus Christ to himself. He's accepted us in the beloved who is Jesus. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In verses 11 and 13, we have an obtained an inheritance in Jesus and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, we read that God, because of his great mercy and love, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, has raised us up together. He's made us alive together. He seated us together in heavenly places with Christ. That's a place of reigning and ruling with the Messiah. In verse 10, he says, We are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Verses 19 through 22 says, We're no longer strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, and all of us are growing into a holy temple for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, We're called to make known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God in uniting opposing people groups, that was the Jews and the non-Jews, into one body in Messiah in covenant. And in verse 31, the church is called to give God glory to all generations forever and ever. So then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy of this calling. We are to represent God on the earth and in the heavenly realm. So how do we walk worthy of the calling? He starts out in verse 2, with all lowliness. Lowliness is a Greek word that means humility, modesty, being humble-minded, it's an attitude of, of unselfish concern for others. It's a total absence of arrogance, conceit, and haughtiness. Humility is necessary for us to receive grace, so it's critical that we be humble. Pride is one of the, one of the sins of our nation. It's one of the sins of our state, Texas pride. And you know, the scripture says you cannot receive grace if you are not humble. 
And so that's something that we need to walk in repentance. As, as uh, Jordan preached last week, repentance is to be our lifestyle for the rest of our lives. We're continually repenting as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And when he shows us that we're being arrogant or conceited or proud in any area, we need to repent of that. Not just confess it as sin, but turn from it. Embrace humility. And then he says, in gentleness, and the Greek word for gentleness means having an even-tempered disposition, a balanced spirit, being tranquil, and having your passions under control. Meekness is a synonym of gentleness. Sometimes it's the same Greek word translated one way or the other. Not always. There are separate words for each, but sometimes there's also a common word. Meekness uh, means controlled power. And strength. There's an American newspaper that prints an article about a weekly horse race at their local racetrack. And whatever horse wins the race, they have a picture of him, and the caption under the horse says, The meekest horse. It's always the meekest horse that wins the race because he is totally submitted to his rider. And when we are meek, the power that God's given us and the power of spirit and even the power of soul, when that is under the control, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then we are being meek. And if we can walk that way, then we will win victoriously just like the meekest horse wins the race. Then it says further in verse 2, with long-suffering. In Greek, it means patient endurance, forbearance, the ability to endure persecution and ill treatment. It describes a person who has the, uh, the power to get revenge but exercises restraint instead. It's being patient with the person who is on your last nerve. Remember the first time I heard that phrase, I thought, what's that mean? I just hadn't even heard that phrase before. Now I get it. So someone that's on your very last nerve, you're still being patient. The you are married. Oh. <laughs> okay, she said that. I didn't say that. <laughs> Bearing with one another in love. And that means to put up with and tolerate another person, not with resentment, not grudgingly, but with love, genuine love. Loving one another should naturally follow our loving the Lord because the more we love him, the more we love what he loves. The closer we are to his heart, the more our hearts will beat in step with his heart. In fact, if we will lay our heads on his chest on a regular basis and hear his heartbeat, our hearts will begin to beat in rhythm with his. We need intimacy with the Lord. We need to hear his heart. Anyone can hear a shout. Anyone can hear a loud command. But only those that are very close to Jesus will hear the whispers of his heart. And if we want to be intimate with him, we need to have times of closeness with him. You know, we sing songs about him being our friend what a friend we have in Jesus, but are we his friend? Do we listen to his heart? Do we know what he feels about what's happening in our earth? I believe he's looking for friends, and man, I want to be one of those. I'm sure you do too. So the closer we are to his heart, the more our hearts will beat in step with his, and what is precious to him will become precious to us. Of all the things that matter to God, people matter the most. 
As God's children, we are in the school of learning to be like him. Jesus said, it is enough for a servant to be like his master. And with God's character and nature being that of agape love, unconditional love, then our great businesses in life is learning agape love. Our training as God's people on earth is a training in loving unconditionally. Agape love arises out of a heart of love regardless of the worth of the recipient of that love. All spiritual growth is growth primarily in agape love. All spiritual failure begins with a failure in love. All spiritual immaturity is a sign of immaturity in love. Anything less than unconditional love is actually self-worship. Because the root of it is not love for the other, but love for oneself. Okay, let's read on verse 3. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring means to exert oneself, to make every effort, to be diligent and zealous, to strain every nerve. So everything that is within us, with all diligence, we must keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I think it's appropriate that this is the scripture we're looking at in election week, you know, in an election year when there is so much division and unhappiness in our nation and even in the church. And we need to be representatives of the Lord in maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want us to just hold your place there. Go to the companion verses of this in Colossians 3. Remember, Paul wrote Colossians the same time he was writing Ephesians, probably the same year. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. You see, we have the same words there. Bearing with one another in love. Forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, let's go to John 17. Turn with me to John 17. We're going to read verses 20 through 23. As you know, this is the high priestly prayer, the Lord's Prayer. John 17. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone. He's referring to his disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know that we, we are part of that because we believe because the disciples were faithful to make disciples and their disciples were faithful to make disciples. And all through the years, people have made disciples and shared the gospel, and that's why we're here today. <clears throat> so Jesus was actually praying for us too. And this is what he prayed, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. 
and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus did not say that it's by amazing signs and wonders that the world would believe that he was the Messiah sent from God. It's by our unity. Our unity will convince the world that Jesus is the Messiah and God's son. And we cannot become mature and complete in isolation. That's why part of the, the, the hard part of the pandemic was all of us being isolated from one another. We cannot become perfect when we're isolated from each other. We need to sharpen each other. We need to encourage each other, speak the word to each other. So we, com we become complete as we're one with the Lord, with the Father, with the Son, and as we are one with one another. Paul Bilheimer is an author and theologian. He wrote, disunity in the body probably sends more people to hell than open sin. It binds the hands of the Holy Spirit and thwarts his work of convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The most important prerequisite to world evangelization and revival is the unity of the body of Christ. So the most common tool that the enemy uses to fragment the church is criticism within the body. Unjust and unloving criticism of one another has been called the peculiar sin of the saints. Throughout history, the church has thrived under outside persecution, but it has disintegrated under inside persecution. If the devil cannot destroy us from outside attacks, then he comes inside within the church between and within our relationships with the tools of gossip, slander, accusation, criticism, and judgment. Judging others wounds and scars the body of Christ and destroys its testimony to the seen and the unseen realm. Both of them are looking to the church to represent God. It damages the one doing the judging because every time we judge, we're operating in a spirit of lovelessness and we are condemning ourselves and putting into motion a death process that affects the body of Christ, affects the testimony of the church, and, judge, and condemns ourselves personally. So while judging decreases the love in the body of Christ, prayer will move God into action and will act as a unifying force. And if we will choose to pray rather than to love, rather than to judge or criticize, we will see the church become more whole and unified and be the light to the world that she was called to be. The greatest threat to the enemy is the unity of the church. And so we need to build the unity of the church. That is spiritual warfare. That's part of spiritual warfare. Making decrees and declarations is another part. Praying is another part. Worship is another part. Praying the words another part. But one part that we often forget is unity. Building unity is spiritual warfare because we're trying to build up what the enemy is trying to break down. Unity does not just increase our spiritual authority, it multiplies it. 
And unfortunately, the enemy has understood all of this much better than the church has. In his book, Rick Joyner has written Epic Battles of the Last Days, and he wrote, Accusation has been the devil's most effective and deadly tool in destroying the light, the power, and the witness of the body of Christ. I get Tony Evans' newsletter, and this week his newsletter is called Unity in a Spirit of Love. Thought it was appropriate, so I'm going to read a few things he wrote down. We may not agree about all the issues that engulf us, but our unity is not based upon having us agree about everything. Our unity is based on our place as fellow believers, as members of the body of Christ. What we need perhaps now more than ever is unity lived out in a spirit of love. Unity is not uniformity. It is oneness of purpose. Unity is what we witness when unique individuals join hands and move forward in a common direction. An orchestra is unified not because all the instruments are the same, but because the different instruments are playing the same song. It's amazing how much power and impact people have when they share a common goal, a kingdom goal. All right, let's go back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. I'm going to reread verse 3. Endeavoring, making every effort, being diligent, being zealous to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we're called into one body. We have one faith, one God and Father of all who is above all and in all. We are one with one another. We're called to be unified. Turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. The Psalm of David, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So, you know, the, the pictures he gives, the metaphor, the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard of Aaron to the edge of his garments. You know, Aaron was the first high priest. And so it's speaking of that sweet-smelling anointing oil that runs all down the garment of the priest. And we are called the priesthood of God. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, it says in 1 Peter 2.9. And so there should be an anointing upon us as we function in our royal priesthood, which is praying before the throne, worshiping before the throne, intercession, 
declaring the word of God, hearing his words and speaking his words out to others. It's being a mouthpiece to God for the people, intercession, and a mouthpiece for God to the people. That's part of our royal priesthood. And so he's talking about the blessing here. The other picture he uses in verse 3, Mount Hermon is uh, the largest mountain in Israel and also goes into Syria, right, Reuben? And so it's on the border up there. And the, the snow that falls now is quite magnificent. They've built a ski. They've built, you can go skiing on Mount Hermon now. There's ski lifts and people go skiing up there. Uh, but w when the snow melts, it comes all the way down and it refills the reservoirs and the Sea of Galilee and so forth. And so he's saying, this is the blessing. This is life. This is the refreshing, the anointing of the priestly anointing and the refreshing like the dew that's on Mount Hermon. So the Lord commands a blessing where there's unity. He says, when brethren dwell together in unity, it's like the anointing oil that the Lord so loves, and it's like the refreshing dew on Mount Hermon. And there the Lord will command the blessing, which is life. And then besides seeking unity with one another in our families, our neighborhoods, our friendships, all of our relationships, we also need to seek uh, peace in our city. And so I want to read with you Jeremiah 29. If you'll turn there, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Yes, ma'am. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. We're all familiar with verse 11 where it says, uh, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you future and a hope. There's so many good verses actually in this chapter. And this chapter says, verse 7, he says, Seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So I'm going to read that again. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So we need to pray for the city where God has planted us. God's put us in different places, different neighborhoods. You, you have a pastoral responsibility over your neighborhood. I hope you're praying for your neighbors, praying for your neighborhood as you walk around the block and around the blocks in your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. Pray that his kingdom will come and his will to be done in your neighborhood. Pray for all their salvation. Pray for healing of marriages, healing of hearts, healing of homes, healing of relationships, physical healing, emotional healing as you pray for your neighbors. That's part of our assignment wherever the Lord places us. But he's also placed us all in Waco. How many of you originally are from Waco? You were born here and raised here. Eva and Bev and Joyce. Three. The rest of us are transplants. We are in exile here. <laughs> and, 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 we, and actually, we're all in exile until we get back to heaven, you know, until we get up to heaven. I don't know that we've been there before, but till we get to heaven. So we need to pray for the peace of our city. And in its peace, we will have peace. And then let's turn one last scripture to 1 Timothy 2 that we can probably all quote by now. But I want to emphasize a part that we haven't really emphasized when we've read this. 
First Timothy 2, verse 1, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Do you ever pray that way? You know, we pray for authorities. We, the, the second verse, for kings and all who are in authority, we often pray for our authorities, but do we pray for all men? You know, I think that's a good way to pray. We're commanded to. Let's pray that all men everywhere will hear the gospel respond to it. All men everywhere will become disciples of Jesus. That's actually not what I'm emphasizing. <laughs> so back in verse two, for kings, presidents, prime ministers, all who are in authority, all the Senate, all the House of Representatives, all governors, all mayors, we need to pray for all of them. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And it's not just so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, but so that everyone else can too. So that everyone in our nation can. So that every city can. So that every other nation can. This is part of the responsibility of praying for all men everywhere. That as intercessors before the throne of God in a priestly role before Him, we bring before Him all men everywhere and all nations and all cities. We pray that His kingdom comes and His will is done everywhere. So today, I'm, I'm going to close by praying for what, what is going to be taking place on the National Mall and in front of the Supreme Court and there in Washington, D.C. with Sean Fote and with his team. There have been death threats against them. And they have their own team of intercessors and team of people that travel with them and minister with them. And they're part of our body. And we want to pray for them because um, they're doing the work that we cannot do. We can't leave what we're doing and go from place to place and establish the kingdom of God in different cities through praying, through worship, through sharing the gospel. You know, they bring in a mobile baptismal. People get saved and get baptized right there. I mean, things are happening. It's, it's exciting. Thousands and thousands are going to this. They expect thousands today. So let's pray together for that. And let's pray for... Is it? Oh, maybe, maybe we should pray that the rain comes south. And they have dry and, and goes toward California and rains over all the fires. That'd be a good way. And Colorado. It's a lot to pray for. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to obey you. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we pray for kings. We pray for presidents for prime ministers, for dictators, our congressmen. We pray for our governors and our mayors. We pray, Lord, for all men everywhere in our nation and in every other nation. Lord, we know many are being persecuted right now for their faith. Lord, we pray for them, for your comfort, for your strength, that they will be faithful even now. Would you open the heavens where they could hear angels singing and worshiping before the throne? Lord, that would so encourage them. Would you do that for them? Lord, we pray for those that um, are suffering because of all the fires in California and Colorado, other places. We pray for protection for the people. 
We pray that the fires will be washed out in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the snow that was predicted for today for Colorado. I pray it did snow and I pray it will snow. I pray, Lord, that the rain that's taking place in Washington, D.C. would begin to come south and it would move to different directions of this nation where we desperately need rain. Lord, would you rain over California? Would you open the heavens and rain over that state and put out those fires? And would you rain your spirit over that state? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit over California, over New York, over Portland, Oregon, over Seattle, Washington? Would you reign over where the enemy is taking ground? We speak the name of Jesus that you would take ground over these cities. We declare that you are Lord and that at your name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray for our city that we would live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Lord, we are not asking for peace in our nation so that we can continue sinning. We're praying for peace so that we can live righteous, godly lives. We're praying that you will fill every open vacancy in authority in the elections with righteous people and with people that will uphold justice. We pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our city, in our state, and in our nation to the glory of your name. And we specifically pray for what is planned Today, Sean Fote and his team in Washington, D.C., we pray even in spite of the rain. Lord, I think of so many revivals that have taken place while it's rained. And rain is considered a blessing in Scripture. So even in spite of the rain, I pray that many will come out to worship you and to hear the word of God and to pray for our nation, to, that the atmosphere will shift over Washington, D.C., and there will be an open portal for the kingdom of God and for the purposes of God and the will of God to be established there. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you that you've, you are already showing your blessing by pouring out rain. Thank you, Jesus. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon this nation that your name will be glorified, that many will be born again, many will be baptized in water, baptized in the Spirit, will be discipled and will go forward doing the will of God. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, remember, we're worshiping today in the chapel, so let's go worship the Lord.